0: Welcome to a bonus episode of the Renovate Podcast, where we continue the conversation from our Renovate Live. Today in the studio, I'm joined by a couple of incredible guests who are going to help me navigate this idea of biblical dating and help us look through a biblical lens for marriage, love, and romance. We hope you enjoy All right, I'm excited about this conversation today, and uh, getting to kind of carry on the conversation from the November third, renovate on disordered dating. Uh, with me in the room today is a couple of uh, legends, at least legends in my life. You might not know who they are. Uh, Amy Foster. Hi, Amy. Hey, Ben. Amy Foster is our Director of Shepherding, helping oversee college ministry, walking with college women, walking with uh, mentors of college women. Also, for nine years, you were Fort Worth Women's Guru. Is that your title? That's it, yeah. Czar of Women's (laughs) Ministry or something like that Uh, at Christ Chapel. Love that you're here. And then also, uh, to my right over here, Matt Lance. Hey there. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Matt, you're the West Campus pastor at Christ Chapel. Yep. Before that, you ran a discipleship program, young adults, something out in Tyler, Texas.
1: What was that? Yeah, it was at Pine Cove. It was called the Forge Program. It was an eight-month program where um, 20-somethings would come, and and we'd help them um, know who they are and what they're doing here. That's awesome. Uh, Both of you uh, love the Lord a lot.
0: You also love young adults a lot, and, uh, and I think you got a lot of wisdom to speak into in this conversation. So excited to have you here. Uh, like we said, this, is, this conversation is really just a further where we started uh, in the talk from November 3rd on dating, and there's so much material to unpack uh, from that conversation, but um, kind of what I want to do is set some structure and framework and kind of a reminder for anyone who didn't hear that sermon. Uh, we looked at how out of whack relationships specifically romantic relationships and dating and, and even marriages how just in the world we live in uh, they just they're broken and it's a it's a broken system and so specifically we looked at these three lenses that can really affect the health of you know, relationships and romance and love and all of those things and so uh, today in this conversation I wanted to focus on those three lenses um, and those lenses are how we see dating as mm-hmm. uh, lens one the second lens is how we see the opposite sex and the third lens is how we see ourselves. And if those things get out of alignment, out of focus, uh, the the unhealthy results can be exponential. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on each of those. Let's start with kind of lens one, how we see dating. And one of the things I talked about in the sermon was this presupposition uh, that, that I believe, uh, and even I think there's some biblical precedent to it, the idea that dating is a tool to evaluate if I'm going to marry someone. The Bible doesn't talk a lot about dating, and you're probably going to bring up Matt here in a little bit why it doesn't talk a lot about dating, but... Uh, but but it's this tool to say, okay, if I'm, if I'm dating somebody, I'm dating not for a recreational sport, I'm dating them for an end goal, that end goal being, for the Christian, a biblical marriage. And so really the idea is, what does a healthy marriage look like? So we know what we're shooting for, so that we can use that tool in the right way. Um, love to just open that up for discussion and, and hear your thoughts on, on just
1: dating and marriage and all that stuff. I'll jump in. Come on, Matt. So, Ben, I don't disagree with you, that marriage is a tool, or that, that dating is a tool to help us get ready for marriage. I would just say that the tool is like rusty or busted or <laughs> not the best tool. We just need to understand the tool that we're using, because I don't know that that it's always going to lead us to the goal that we want. If marriage is the goal,
0: yeah. So, so how is it? How is it rusty? How's it? Why and and how is it broken?
1: Well, I mean, in our experiences, you know, in my life especially, when I went through when I dated, I I found myself always evaluating and being evaluated. And there never seemed to be an end to that. It's felt like this performance treadmill that I could never get off where man, I would, I would want to get close to a girl, but I just couldn't get over this aspect of her appearance or sh- the way that she would talk or something she did to me or disappointed mm-hmm. me in some way. And I know that and relationships have ended that I've been a part of where I have disappointed someone or I didn't, they didn't like the way that I looked or something like that. And so there were so many performance elements that were always kind of under scrutiny that, that doesn't, necessarily lead you to a sacrificial, selfless, giving sort of marriage that doesn't prepare your heart to do that later on down the road. It really just kind of prepares you to always kind of be like, yeah, I don't like that about you. I don't like that about you. I can get better somewhere else. And so it really makes it more about what am I getting out of this relationship? And if I'm not getting what I want, then I'm just going to move on to someone else. And, and that's the part of the tool that we have to be really careful with. And if we, we use it that way, it's not going to get us where we really want to go.
0: So your real perspective is that it's a tool that's going to shape us in the wrong way. The dating itself is going to create bad patterns, unhealthy patterns, that it's just a broken tool.
1: No, I wouldn't say it's, it's broken. I say we just
0: need to be really careful how we use it. Okay. Amy what what I'm going to come back to that what Amy, what do you see with just dating and how how is a tool that can be broken?
2: yeah well i I agree with Matt. it's a tool that I think we can um, use incorrectly and and wound ourselves and one another with um, but I think it can also be a really helpful tool. I think it can be a helpful way to learn how to recognize um what qualities bring out spiritual life and spiritual health and growth in me, what qualities in me encourage spiritual life and spiritual growth in someone else. So in that way, I think it can be tough it can be helpful, yeah. um, but absolutely a tool that we can wield the wrong way and yeah. hurt people with. But I also think for some folks, um, dating isn't the tool to evaluate for marriage. Dating is just the tool that helps them navigate life in a plus one world. Mm. Um, there, There is a social expectation so much of the time that you don't walk into the room alone. You walk in with someone beside you. And so dating can be a tool to Do to do that as well, and again, doesn't have to be a harmful tool, but could be if if misused.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I think there's probably a lot of people that could relate to that either because that's how they use dating because they don't want to be alone, they want that plus one, or people who resent the tool because it's hard to do for for your. I mean, for the reasons you articulated, Matt, because you keep getting broken up with or you don't check the boxes or for whatever reason. And that plus one, uh, environment that we live in, that's lonely. It is. That's lonely if you don't have that, um, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, what would you say to somebody, um, who, you know, and we'll get back to throwing dating under the bus here in a second, Matt. <laughs> uh, okay. so prepare for that. But Let's go. A- Amy specifically, just when you talk about that plus one world that we live in, I, I just think so many people connect to that. Um, well, what would you say to somebody who's waiting, right? Who, who is in a plus one world, they are single, they are waiting, they're trying to do it right, they're trying to pursue the correct way, be pursued the correct way, not lower their standards, and they're just sitting and they're waiting and they're frustrated. How would you encourage them? What, would you, what counsel would you give them? What verse would you point to or encouragement?
2: Yeah, I think I would point them to Jeremiah 29, which is a verse that we print on our uh, uh-huh. artwork and hang on our walls uh-huh. and we wear on our jewelry around our wrists. And it reminds us that um, God has good plans for us, plans that lead towards prosperity and goodness and blessing. And we, we love to remind ourselves of that, but we rarely look at the context of when God spoke those words. And He spoke those words to people who weren't living the life that they wanted to live. They we were people living in an exiled situation in a land where they were oppressed. It wasn't what they wanted or chose. And God's advice to them there was, trust me, I have good plans for you. And while you wait, live productively, build houses, plant gardens, pray for people around you. It's such a picture of active engagement, active productivity, exactly where God has you trusting that in the right time, he's going to put you in the land that is good and fruitful and blessed.
0: That's so good. That's all said. Yeah. Okay, Matt, dating, it's broken. Yeah. It's this broken tool that
1: trains us to be overly critical, performance driven. And then what do we do about it? Well, can we just throw I, it out? No, I don't think we can throw it out. Dating has a monopoly. <laughs> you know, like there's no other socially acceptable means of of finding a spouse these days. Unless we come up with one on this podcast. Unless we do right now. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, you first. Um, let me get back to you. Okay. So, I think I think what we have to be careful of is we have to be aware of ourselves and we have to be aware of the tool that we're using. If we just go in it's like, "Oh, all, all I have to do is just date someone and then I'm going to get married." That's probably an ill-informed way of, of going about the dating process. If I understand that uh, I want to get to a place where I'm going to be laying down my life for another person, I'm going to use the tool of dating much differently than somebody who isn't a Christ follower would use the tool because maybe they're using it as a plus one or to satisfy themselves or whatever. But if, if, if I can use it in a way that um, honors God, that honors the person that I'm dating, and that also gets us both to a place where we kind of go yeah I think that you're somebody I would want to spend the rest of my life with then that's a good thing about dating it's a good environment it can be um, it can be done and it has been done I mean just look at you I you know I don't somehow, know how somehow made it I you know? know I know but so I I, I I tend to call dating almost a necessary evil rather than like it's this best thing you've got to date and then you'll you'll you know just because I'm dating somebody then that doesn't mean I'm going to get married. Yeah. So it's a necessary evil because it's it's um, it, it 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 really indulges my selfishness because sure. it really if I'm not careful if I'm not watching I'm going to find myself thinking about how I can get something from the relationship rather than how I can be give be giving yeah. uh, to the relationship itself.
0: Yeah, and and even for Christians, right? I mean, that's yeah. your point. Is even for
1: Christians, Especially, it can train
0: so. an evaluative an unhealthy evaluation that then becomes just performance. This girl's nose wasn't the right shape or this guy wasn't funny enough or didn't make enough money or, or he's
1: not a spiritual leader he's not yeah. he's not the caliber of man that I want him to be or yeah. and it, and it focuses also dating focuses in the moment where i only evaluate this person based on who they are right now but in a marriage you're going to be eval- you're going to be living with someone for hopefully 50 years yeah. and they're going to change they're going to grow they're going to regress they're going to have high points and low points and the point is as as christ followers and in a marriage covenant you want to be able you want to be able to love someone through all of those moments sure when we when you when you said your marriage vows, did you use the word "if"? No, in your marriage vows. I don't think so. But in dating, if you don't call me back after three days, I might dump you. You know, and so it doesn't really set us up to get to a place where we have that sort of unconditional love that we read about so much in the scriptures. Okay, so then here's the tension. The tension is it's broken
0: because it's training me to evaluate. It's training me to not cover. You said this earlier too, the idea that love is designed to cover sin and brokenness First and, Peter 4. and mistakes, right? That that's a part of it. Certainly that's what a marriage is. My marriage is imperfect. I'm an imperfect person. My wife covers me with love. She doesn't hold all of it. She's not like, well, no, he dropped the ball here and didn't unload the dishwasher and all of that stuff. Like she, so, and and we do that in our marriage. So then how do you know what is worth evaluating and what is not worth evaluating when dating, right? If we're not, we're not supposed to hit the eject button in marriage once you make that covenant, but we do hit the eject button and we're trained to hit it in dating. Is it just, you get tired of dating and then you stop hitting the eject button? At what
1: point how, how do we use it? Yeah. Like, how do you know it's the one?
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah,
1: Matt. There's a, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, this guy named Dave Wilcox, and he has this song where he's like, you know, hey, you know, you ask an older person, like, how do you know when it's the right person for you to get married? And, and the old person's like, well, you just got to look out for the big blue poodle up on the road there, hang a right, and then you'll be there. You know, like, <laughs> they give you some some obscure answer to the question. And you're like, what, what, what if I miss it? What if I didn't? What if I... Drove right. past. It. What if I didn't notice it? Right. What if it was right there in front of me and I completely just didn't even know? Yeah. And I think, as as Christ followers, we have to be remembered, Like you you mentioned, love covering a multitude of sins. First Peter chapter four. When I get into a relationship and I I encounter the failures and the disappointments and the um, the sins, uh, even the the shame of the other person, the shame that I carry, mm-hmm. and I'm motivated to love and lay down my life in spite of those things and together with those things, I know that now I'm in I'm a position where I'm ready to make a lifelong commitment to this person. It's not because they met my expectations. It's not because they checked all the boxes. It's not because I'm, you know, I, I can say this is my smoking hot wife or my smoking hot husband. It's, it's really more, am I in a place where I'm ready and willing to lay my life down for this other person? My wife, uh, she's amazing. And she, she's, I'll quote her with this every single time. She's said in the past, a lot of girls when they're growing up have the list of the ideal guy, right? right. You know, they're. Amy, did you have one of those lists? I
2: did. You know? It was the wrong list. Yeah. And she she tells, yeah.
1: And she rocks girls' worlds because what she'll do is she'll sit down with them and she says, you know, what happens when you don't meet him? Or what happens when the guy that you marry, and maybe he starts out that way, maybe he puts on 50 pounds, or maybe he doesn't do the dishes, or maybe he speaks to you in a way that's actually really hurtful. Maybe we should be making a list of who is the person that I want to be so that I can lay my life down, like wow. lay my life down for this person. What, what do I need to become to get to a place where I'm not treating other people as their sins deserve? But when I encounter disappointment and failure in others, I know the gospel so well, I can apply it in a way that my love is not interrupted. You know, the Psalms talk about God's love being never ending, never failing. And I don't think that as humans, we can get to that place, but I mean, surely we can get our love to go past the first disappointment or the second missed expectation that we can learn to love. Uh, You know, I I tell couples in marital counseling that love is the best covering for failure or disappointment, not wrath or passive aggressiveness or... You know some of the things that we typically use today. That's great. So the paradigm shift is—is is
0: this? If I'm hearing you correctly, speaking into this, Matt and Amy. The paradigm shift is that dating is not just a lens to help me evaluate if that person is going to be good enough. You're you're proposing that that dating is actually the mirror to show me: Am I mature, ready to love, to lay my life down, to serve somebody who's going to be a changing, evolving? brother or sister in Christ, whose sin is going to up and down, that it is more of a reflective exercise to say, are you mature enough? Is that?
2: Yeah. Rather than that list of here are the qualities I have to find in another person, you know, um, rather than the goal is I need a really strong, sacrificial, loving leader. Or for a guy to say, I need a submissive, respectful follower for the goal instead to be... I need to have mature spiritual life in me. I need to be a person who is growing in the image of Jesus. Um, And then to know that you find another person like that... And then all the good fruit that follows that is the servant leader, the submissive follower, the respect, the mutual love, the sacrifice. Uh, So it really starts with mature spiritual life in me.
0: Yeah. So somebody comes to you and they say, man, it was a serious relationship. A guy comes to you, Matt, and he says, man... He was in a serious relationship. He's a believer. She was a believer, and she's in what you know of her, godly, godly woman. He says, "Yeah, she wasn't right and when we were getting closer and closer to, you know, making that next step. Yeah, she just wasn't checking enough boxes as a pastor's heart. Whether you say it or not, because he might not have ears to hear it. Do you grieve a little bit that that he's looking? It's is it really genuinely a man? I'm sorry that you weren't mature enough mm-hmm. to pursue her. Like I'm sorry, bro, you weren't mature enough. He sees it as wow, she's just not the right girl for me. She's not, but really it's, you don't have capacity to love her.
1: Yeah, so on the one hand, I grieve, but on the other hand, I'm really glad that they didn't get married. Yeah. Because if that's how he's going into a marriage- that girl dodged a bullet. She really did. Yeah. She really did. And so, and and that's why I really agree with you, Amy, where you're, you know, dating exposes things in us Mm -hmm. that we need to work on. Yeah. Um, It doesn't guarantee marriage. It does provide a way for us to deal with our sin. It does provide a way for us to apply the gospel to those moments and to learn how to lay ourselves down and to prepare ourselves to make a commitment to give our word to another person that we're going to love them, which is a big thing to commit. Now, as a Christian, I'm supposed to love everybody, right? but when we're talking about a spouse, I'm supposed to love this person differently than I love any other person on the planet, and that is you need to, you need, and dating does fester those selfish things in us to where we can kind of go, okay, I'm ready to dive into that kind of a commitment or man, I've got some, some areas where I really need to work on.
0: Yeah. I, I see so many people that are still stuck in that selfish cycle and they just think they haven't found the one as opposed to you just haven't surrendered your selfishness. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's such a great way. Amy, just to kind of close up this, this lens. Talk to us about the line, right? The covenant line, yeah. right? The, the evaluation that happens on the front end and how it can be self-reflective. And then when you cross that threshold of marriage, how does that change?
2: Yeah, dating and marriage are divided by this line that is the covenant. You know, that is the the vow that you take before God that I am pledging myself to love and serve this person to forgive them for the rest of my life. And so there are obligations that you're not in a covenant commitment to when you're in a dating relationship. You do have an opt-out clause in the dating relationship. You don't in the marriage relationship. So there is that evaluative opportunity there that allows you that. Um, And there's all kinds of other boundaries too, you know, that God says some things are off limits here over on the dating side and they're reserved for the covenant marriage side. So I do think it's important to recognize dating is not marriage. And the thing that makes the difference is that covenant vow that you make to one another and to God.
1: That's so good. There's a passage in Hebrews 11 that says, hold the marriage bed in high honor or reverence or respect. And a lot of times when I'm talking to guys about dating is I tell them, please don't mock my marriage Mm. in your dating relationship. Wow. What I mean by that is I will tell them like, look, you guys have a girlfriend and you're going to try to have all the benefits of marriage, all the pleasures of marriage with none of the commitment. And that's not what honors God. And it's not what's going to be healthy for the guy or the girl in that dating relationship. And so one of the ways that men and women can honor the covenant of marriage is by, not, by, by recognizing the importance of the covenant itself and saying, I'm not gonna do the things that God has said this is for marriage until that time comes. Because that's the way that we honor and reverence and appreciate that God's designed marriage for a specific purpose and for a specific reason for a husband and a wife. And when I walk his way, there is prosperity, there is life the way he intended for it to be lived. When I do things my way, when I don't walk in God's way, there's pain, there's hurt, there's trouble. That's so good. That's so good.
2: I actually think that's protective to go into dating understanding where you are on that continuum yeah. that that you're you're not in a covenant relationship, which means there is the possibility that this person will not remain. Committed to you, yeah. You know, to to enter that knowing that that is a possibility here. That's actually a helpful thing.
0: It yeah, is. it is. Yeah, it's good. Okay, let me segue that because I, I think there's going to be some transition here with the lens two, mm-hmm. which is how we see the opposite sex, right? This idea that that becomes broken and becomes out of focus. What yeah. are some ways? What are some unhealthy patterns that you guys have seen, just people you've walked with, where they just don't see the opposite sex in the correct way? Well,
1: and many of what we're just talking about here, I watch men treat women as if they are a possession. Okay. And it's not real, it's not, it's not like they're trying to do it or that it's malicious or any kind of uh, thing like that. But uh, when, when, when a guy starts dating a girl, he immediately wants to call and say, can, is she my girlfriend? I have to have that kind of status where like, she's my girlfriend, but there's a possessiveness there that exists where he's misinformed. If he really thinks about it, if he goes about it God's way, that That woman biblically belongs to her father until the covenant of marriage has been undertaken. And until that time, um, I see a lot of guys treating women like they're a rental car. And like, it doesn't matter how fast I go. It doesn't matter what I do to this car. I'm just going to turn it back in later and then go get another one. I get to enjoy all the benefits of this car without any of the commitment You know, so men especially need to be careful and not being possessive of the person that they're dating. She doesn't belong until you put your money where your mouth is, fellas. Yeah. You know, you get the ring and you go have the conversation with her dad. She doesn't belong to you. She doesn't have to answer to you. She doesn't have to submit to you. And that's, I think, uh, one way that we can kind of get our focus or the lens kind of blurred. And dating relationships. That's great, Amy. How about you? What What are some of those patterns you see? Yeah,
2: I, I see kind of two extreme patterns, and I see this both in in single women and in married women who are a little uh, disenchanted with their marriage. And, and one is this idea that my husband has to be a spiritual Adonis. That if he's going to spiritually lead the family, that means he has to have greater biblical knowledge than I have, greater spiritual maturity, so much more fruit Mm. in his life. Whatever disciplines or activities I'm involved in, he needs to be the president of that group and leading the way. And that's not an appropriate expectation. um, That, you know, uh, that really isn't, I think, what spiritual leadership. Requires, and so I see a lot of girls in dating discounting a guy before they ever start dating them because they need to see all those markers. Sure.
0: Um, well, and, and I know so many godly women, godly single women in our ministry who are like they're they're way ahead of the curve. I mean, they're they're going to have a hard time finding a guy mm-hmm. who is as spiritually mature as they are, or spiritually gifted as they are. So yeah, that becomes discouraging. Yeah. For spiritually mature women, it shouldn't be that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So so that's one extreme and then I think the other extreme is somebody who isn't following you know a, a a gal is looking at a guy who doesn't have a spiritual pulse at all, the other but side she's of it. so full of hope and she's so full of grace. And she I thinks, I'm going to yeah. be this redeeming influence in his life. And the grace that I have is going to overflow to him. And so it's a savior complex gone wrong two ways. You know, the first way is this guy is going to be the savior who's going to make me spiritually grow. And then the other is I'm going to be the savior that helps him grow. And and the truth is we need to be two spiritually mature people, both pursuing a life with God, both allowing God to make us more into the image of Jesus every day. Mm-hmm. So that's a lens that that I think really pe- people can use to become disenchanted. Sure.
0: That makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. I think um, one of the things that uh, our young couples ministry, specifically Avenue, Avenue's is a ministry that walks with people. Um, Pre, pre-engaged, engaged, and young married couples at Christ Chapel, one of the things they talk about a lot is you're choosing your sandpaper. That mm. that's that's what you're doing in this concept of uh, marriage. And, and when you're evaluating that process of this isn't somebody who's going to complete you and make you feel like the special snowflake you are. <laughs> this is someone who God is going to use to sanctify you and make you more in his image. But that's difficult at times.
1: I have a friend, and he says it this way. He says, marriage is a terrible place to get your needs met. <laughs> yeah. It's a great place to lay your life down. Ooh, that's good to to serve and bless someone else. But if you're going in it to get your needs met, you're going to frequently find yourself disappointed. Um it's a place where you're going to be shaped and you're going to help shape and it's it's um most of the time it's a place where you're going to be laying your life down, not be not being fed or given or or led the way that you...
2: It's choosing the relationship where you're gonna sin and be sinned against. And it's choosing the relationship where you're going to extend forgiveness and receive forgiveness. I mean, that's really what it is. Till death do us
0: part. Goodness. Okay, so... just let me let me go on a rabbit trail here for a second, because what we just articulated, so if somebody's listening to this, and they're dating, or they're not dating, but wish they were, and they just heard us describe dating as sandpaper, and this is what I lay my life down for, and all, all of those things, I want them to hear that there is so much joy. This is three people who have had difficulty in relationships, yep. right? Who have had yes. really hard stuff in relationships. Failure, Failure mm-hmm. hard things we've looked at, mm-hmm. but also simultaneously are all in marriages that we just praise God for, it. there is so much joy in that. There's so much life in a relationship that isn't about me. Mm -hmm. And so I I would hope that people wouldn't hear sandpaper and lay your life down and, and correct your lens, that it's not about you. It's about how you can serve and be sanctified. There is so much purpose and and life, life abundantly in that is that been is that true for you guys?
1: Mm-hmm. No, it's I, true I, for me, but maybe it's just because my wife's the best. Well, she is. But like, <laughs> I think, I think for me, it's almost like a conversion experience, just not in a spiritual realm, but yeah. also in, in the way that I saw dating. We're talking about lenses here. When I think about dating differently, when I think about the, the other person differently, when I think about myself differently, it opens up a whole new realm for me. Now we're sacrificing or being sandpaper or laying my life down in the same way, it was a joy for Jesus to lay down his life. Yeah. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, the yeah. says. It's no different in my, in my relationships where now what I looked at before is me like, oh man, that sounds lame or that sounds really hard. It sounds like a killjoy. Yeah. Now it's no, like there is no greater joy than when I get to put myself second so that somebody else can... Amen. That be more important
2: than and let me tell you one joy I experience. You know, we think marriage is sanctifying. It's It's where all our warts are exposed. And that's very true. But the other way it's sanctifying, I have these moments when I see such goodness in my husband. Mm-hmm. And I'm A, convicted because that much goodness is not bubbling up out of me. But I'm also so encouraged when I see it. And I think if God does that in him... God can do that in me, and it makes me turn to God and and want—you know, it, it stirs us up towards love and good deeds. I mean, in addition to just bringing us sweet companionship and joy, and yes, the negative things that come out refine us, but the positive things that come out both refine and inspire us, and that's a beautiful thing.
1: And the bottom line of it, Ben, is that at the end of the day, it is— I get to live out a, a living expression of the gospel. Mm. Yeah. And that is gonna be sandpaper and pain and hurt and difficulty. But at the same time, I learn in the midst of that, that it is possible to love even though I have I have shame and guilt. Yeah. That it is possible to be loved even though I have failure and sin. And when you experience that in a in a commitment relationship that's not based on performance, but yeah. one that's based on promise that's a whole nother realm of love and joy and security that the world doesn't know anything about.
2: I love that you brought that up because in my opinion, my humble opinion, marriage is a symbol. You know, it's, it's something God gives us here in this world that is tangible and physical and visible, but it's a symbol that's pointing to something heavenly and something spiritual. And so marriage is this opportunity to represent in front of the world, sacrificial love and grace and forgiveness. And it's it's showing the world Jesus and the church. And what a privilege that is. And does the world not need more positive, beautiful symbols yeah, here? It's a living yeah.
0: parable. Yes. Ephesians 5. Yeah, Yeah. That's so good. That's great. Okay. So the last one then, this lens of uh, the third lens that at least we'll talk about today is ourselves, how we see ourselves get slanted. So maybe we do start seeing the mindset of what dating should be. Okay. This is less about them checking the boxes, less about performance and more about, am I sanctified? Maybe we do start seeing the opposite sex in the right way. But so many people I walk with are stuck because they don't see themselves properly. They they might see the they might agree with all of this theoretical about marriage, but when they look in the mirror, they don't
1: see themselves true. How have you seen that Matt play out? And how would you encourage that person? I think it comes down to the points the way they see themselves is like, I don't find myself very attractive. I don't find myself very desirable. I have this baggage, I have this sin, I'm damaged goods. Uh, I, I don't like the shape of my body. I have too much weight. Like whatever it is, outside or inside, the way the world thinks about relationships and dating filters in there quietly. And we're sitting there going, nobody's going to want me. Yeah. And how, how am I supposed to move forward with that? And the reality is, is that, attraction is something that God hardwires into us. You know, like I can't explain why I was attracted to my wife the way that I was, but when I saw her, it was boom, it was right there. And like, I didn't plan on that happening. Like yeah. she walked past me and all these things started firing in my brain and my yeah. chest. It was really weird. And so, nobody can explain why she's attracted to you. Nobody. Still, it's Scientists an ongoing, are still doing research yeah. papers. It's not been proven. Really. <laughs> But I, so that's where I, I want to encourage folks that maybe feel like they're not desirable, or maybe you feel like they're not very attractive for whatever reason. Don't evaluate yourself based on the world's metrics for what is attractive and desirable. Yeah. Um, God loved us when we were at our worst. So he found us attractive enough to where he would send us his son and, and he would lay down his life so that we could live. And even
0: practically, Matt, you've talked about, you know, the person who's like, man, I'm just not pretty enough or I'm not handsome enough. You've, I've heard you make the comment
1: that everyone's, everyone is attractive no, in some, right? No, just like, and, and that's what I'm saying is like, if God can find me attractive enough to lay down his life for, him, for me in my sin, just because I don't feel attractive doesn't mean that I'm not. Right. Just because I don't feel desirable doesn't mean that I'm not. In fact, I think everyone is attractive to somebody. And you just have to find that somebody who's attracted to you. Yeah. And we don't need to be surprised because we don't none of us think that we're attract universally attracted to every human being. So the flip then is also gonna be true. You're not gonna be attracted to every other person. So when you find that chemistry, that's that that sometimes happens really quickly, sometimes it takes a long time. But don't forget your performance doesn't determine. How attractive you are or how desirable you are to someone, because that robs me yeah. of the opportunity to love you when you're still a sinner. Yeah. Don't rob me of the opportunity to love you even though you don't think you're all that great, because that's what love is, that's what love does. Yeah. And so you would say everyone is gonna be attracted. Everyone is attractive to someone. Everyone somebody. is attractive to someone. So yes. don't give up. Just keep keep meeting people. Yeah. And also remember that for yourself. Like don't evaluate people based on what's on the surface or how you, you know, you walk up to somebody and they don't, you know, meet your expectations right away or whatever. Like don't dismiss people because they don't immediately fit into your categories. good. That's great. Uh, Amy, what about another, another category of how we, we don't see ourselves correctly.
2: Yeah. How we see ourselves incorrectly. Um, definitely we put a covering of shame over ourselves, particularly if we've crossed some of those boundaries, you know, if we've crossed that covenant boundary, maybe we think, um, there's shame. Now I'm spoiled. Now I'm ruined. Or maybe somebody else has crossed some boundaries with us and we think I'm so wounded or I'm so fragile. Um, you know, those things are real and they happen and they're part of the risk that goes with the dangerous tool of dating. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so I I think the temptation there is once we see ourselves through that lens of I'm damaged, I'm wounded, I'm embarrassed, I'm flawed, I'm dirty, whatever, you know, we can either just withdraw from the arena altogether. Um, It's too dangerous, it's too risky, I don't want to be in that arena. Or we can take this view of this is just what the arena is like, yeah. and I should expect to be in this kind of stuff, or I should expect people to treat me that way, and both of those are inaccurate, you know. So, so I think that's a real tendency, and I've wrestled with that one, you know. I've been the wounded person who said I will never go back in that arena again, you know, um, but. The, that keeps you a wounded person forever. That distorts your identity. Um, I'm either broken or I'm wounded or I'm tainted. Um, and that's not who God says you are. Yeah,
0: that's so, I, I see that so powerfully. And, and that's such a tool of the enemy. I think there's spiritual warfare all throughout dating, mm-hmm. all throughout relationships, all throughout our lives as believers, that the enemy is gonna be planning lies and, and we battle those and we surround ourselves with truth and community and scripture. Practically speaking, Amy, let's say someone's sitting before you Maybe a young woman, young man, and they have—they've uh, gone down roads physically that they can't come back from. That they feel like, oh, I've—I've I've gone too far. I've, you know, I, 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 and there's just that shame. Or, like you said, something has been done to them, and they just feel like, okay, I'm—I'm I'm used. I'm ruined. How do you counsel them to—to to believe that's a lie? To believe truth?
2: Yeah. What well, do you do? We're letting the world and the experiences of the world determine our identity and our value and our worth when we come away from those things with a, this has changed who I am. And so I think the only remedy we have to that is to stop letting the world form us and to go back and let God form us. You know, Go go to our Creator and let Him tell us what our identity is because He's the one who created us. Go back to the one who paid everything for us and let Him remind us, What is our value and what is our worth? And that's where healing happens. So it's okay to withdraw from the arena to heal, to go back to God and let Him reshape a proper view of your identity and your worth. You're a daughter or a son of the Most High King. And He gave everything to bring you into His family. That's who you are. His forgiveness covers you. His righteousness covers you. You know, when you can go back and retreat to God and heal, then you can make the wise decision about stepping back into the arena um, and, and being around people, but not with a view that the world is going to do this to me. The world gets to do this to me. I should expect it. You step back into the arena uh protected, defended with with strength, not with brokenness.
0: I love that. Our God is a God who takes broken things and He Absolutely. makes them new. Absolutely, That's what He does. Yeah. If somebody's listening to this and they feel broken and they feel used. I hope that the Holy Spirit would remind them truth, that He takes things that are dead and brings them to life.
2: And He's creative. He does it in ways that we can never imagine. When we sit in brokenness, we do not have any picture of how we could be whole again. Yeah. But he's the one who created the world from nothing. Yeah. So he does really creative things in our brokenness.
1: And while that may be a part of our story, pain and hurt and, you know, those types of things, it doesn't have to become all of our story. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what happens with our identities is we take the most painful or the most, you know, the biggest thing that's happened in our lives are what we're feeling, and we tend to make that all of what our identity revolves around. And when we remember God is the one that speaks to us and tells us who we are, he reminds us of how he's created us and for what purposes. That can give us the, the security and the confidence to go back into a, a dangerous world full of all kinds of you know spiritual warfare and then also hurts and pains, and to be able to navigate that with confidence and security that's not based on performance. It's based on what God has already said is true about me, regardless of what I do. That's beautiful. I,
0: I love that. I, I, have, I hope and pray that we would walk that out and that our people would walk that out and they would walk into relationships, not um, drowning in shame, not drowning in regret, Amen. walk in the newness of Christ. He has given them, uh, but then walk wisely in this really broken tool. Mm -hmm. And so, Amy, I want to hear your closing thought. Any closing encouragement for that? Matt, I want to hear your closing thought of what is the right tool to make. Okay. (laughs) I've given you now this entire podcast. You say dating is broken. Here's your chance. If
1: dating is broken, the correct way is I think you should have a method. If you're going to date, don't go into it blindly. Don't go into it thinking that just because I'm dating somebody, it's going to work out. Okay. Have intention and purpose for yourself, for the other person, and make sure that intention and purpose is formed from the scriptures, from your walk with Christ, from your own spiritual growth. And do and be consistent with that intention and honor and respect the person that you're dating in that way you mentioned at the top, I have a dating book. I think, yeah. I think it's a good method. Yeah. And it's, it's just a uh, dating book. Where could people find it? It's just uh www.thedatingbook.wordpress.com. Not dating book, not book, book, book. I wrote it back in 2011. I wrote it as blog posts and then just kept writing it because I got so much interaction with the comments. I think the comments actually are really probably better than the, the written parts yeah, itself, sounds- but it's, it's a, it's an interesting way to think about well, if I don't have an intentional purpose, like yeah. what's a method I can use? Here's one that you can use. It's a really practical resource. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. I really thought you were just gonna say arranged marriage.
1: I thought that's where you I were gonna I don't want to go there because yeah. I know that's something that's really important to you. That's what I'm working on. And arranged marriage? marriage. Yeah.
0: Yep. I just you
1: spin a wheel, actually. That's where the it easiest lands. way. Yeah. So that's the
0: easiest way. We're working on that. Amy Wrap us up with something mature and spiritual. (laughs) Hey, I've
2: got no book. I'm sorry. Um, You know, I I would just say, let's go back to the basics of um, instead of being a woman out there searching for the loving servant leader or being a guy out there searching for the submissive, respectful follower, be a spiritually mature person, be a person being formed into the image of Jesus every day. Be that person and then trust your God with what he brings into your life.
0: Amen. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate
1: it. You're welcome. Pleasure.